0: What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 36 of Dart Against Humanity. is the first episode of the third season. So the last episode I recorded was three months ago. In that time, I've been doing a lot of research, work, outside of just normal um, writing and journalism. Just pretty much trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do going forward. One of the reasons why I felt it was time to take a extended hiatus from um Dart Against Humanity was in the previous thirty five episodes, of course, the first season was thirteen episodes I uh, had a break for about a month, I think a four month, and then I had the next extended season. I did it like I said, my um idea was to do it like television shows or Netflix series or network series do full seasons the first season is 13 episodes, just like a television show that's a mid-season replacement or a new show that's just been added to a network where you pick up that first season and then if the season does well enough, you might add the back nine episodes for a full, for a full season of um 22 episodes. Sometimes they let that season run, those 13 episodes, and then they'll pick up the next season and that next season, they might add... 22 episodes on top, so that's what I did with the first season of um, Dart Against Humanity I just wanted to like see where it was headed, how I felt with it if it had a ceiling if I could build somewhat of an audience, so then I did season 2, I decided to extend that and one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about whenever I felt like it, and I was doing episodes every 3 to 5 days going back I'm not going to do that again because I felt I did too many episodes too quick. And what ends up happening is the audience feels put upon a lot of times because they've missed multiple episodes. Of course, I always thought of it like look, we're in a um on demand era, in an on-demand era where people don't necessarily watch or listen to things the day they come out, they give it time. One of the things that I was doing was I was putting out an episode every three to five days. So, if you turn around and you haven't listened in a in a while, you have three episodes. The difference being is that my podcast goes between forty five and fifty five minutes. That's a lot of time to invest in a sh- in a show or a podcast. I understand some people listen to Joe Budden's show and it runs. Hours or what have you, but the difference being is that that's Joe Budden. I ain't Joe Budden, and the nature of what I do is very different from what other people do. There's a level of um entertainment that other shows and other podcasts have, and then of course there's the thing where a lot of times people listen to podcasts for the guests, so. You'll be enticed to listen to the podcast for the interview and what the other person brings in. And sometimes the person who hosts the podcast is secondary or or an afterthought because you just want to hear them interact with the person. And a lot of times they're showing up because of something they did in the outside world. And that's basically what you want to hear about or their past history or doings or they're over or their or what have you now with me. You're pretty much listening to this podcast for me and whatever I have to say about whatever. That's a completely different investment than any other podcast. So I had to mull that over. And I had to understand the nature of what podcasting was and how it's evolving over time while I'm doing it. So I think going forward, I'm going to do a podcast probably every week, at most five to seven days. So the audience doesn't feel as put up on. Or they have to do more work. Because I feel like it's going to make people not want to listen. If they have to do so much fucking work. That's why I had a three month break. Because I had done 35 episodes. I'm like 45 minutes per episode on average. If you're going to catch up. You're going to need time to do that. And you kind of need. A reason to listen. Now in that in-, in interim, I'm thinking, I'm like, what do I want this podcast to be? And then don't get in your own head too much because there are reasons people like listening. And me, I'm completely clueless because I'm doing the podcast. I'm me, so I go back and I listen to my old podcast, and I understand, and I realize, yo, there's certain episodes where I was focused enough, where I wrote down my talking points, and I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, or I was mad, and I knew exactly what I was aiming for. So I was kind of, um, I was following something linear. I was following the same, the same premise. I didn't diverge too much. I didn't rant too much. So it was a pretty good episode. I was prepared beforehand. And then there are just some episodes where I'm go- I'm kind of all over the place. But I'm in my head a lot. So I'll ask other people. And they love the episode. But I know I'm the person who's doing it. And as I'm talking, I know there's shit I'm leaving out. There are key points I wanted to make that I completely messed up on. There are names I messed up. So... I agonize over this nonstop. And that's what happens when you are me versus when you're somebody listening. And so I decided to really study the nature of podcasting and everything else and content creation. And I fucking hate that term. But I realized that there are people that want to please the audience versus what I do. I just put this out and whatever happens, happens. Now, some people might, make, might think that's naive. and Other people might think that's um, fucking noble and amazing. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. All I know is that when it comes to trying to cater to an audience, I know for a fact, after years of uh, consulting and working in the digital space, that people only know what they don't want. They don't 100% know what they want. Because a lot of times, if you do something that resonates with them, that works with them, they never would have thought that that's something that they liked. So that's why I don't really sweat it. And another thing that people always try to get on me about is that I'm not trying to make this into a brand I'm not trying to do as much as I can to really get this out there. Why? Because I don't know what the fuck this is yet. So everybody was asking me, yo, when's the merch coming? I'm 36 now episodes into this podcast, and I don't know what it's going to be like by episode 50. I'm as I'm as surprised. I'll be as surprised as you who's listening, whoever you are. And then the other part of it is that as a writer, I'm kind of trying to figure out what the pivot is or what the next move is because I honestly, I'm kind of getting out of writing. I am not. Last year was the first year where I was quoted in more articles than I wrote. But also I made more money that year than I did in the like the last three previous years writing when I was killing myself to write because I was doing other things and this journalism shit don't pay. It just doesn't. And um, so people want me to turn this into a brand and monetize it. I'm like, what the fuck am I monetizing? First of all, I had to learn about pivoting and what to do when you're actually in a space where. You're a known commodity, and people know what they're getting from you, and you reach for something and you shoot for something, but don't necessarily reach it. Like perfect example. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. There's a, a YouTube company that makes videos and been doing it for well over a decade called Wong Fu. So they make films that cater to like you know, the Asian-American community and, and because they're sorely underrepresented in um, modern media. New media is where they were able to, you know, finally make their mark, and it turns out that there are a lot of people like all all across like media and uh, film and television who a lot of them got their start working on Wong Fu sets. It's crazy, but they wanted to do a series, so they were trying to pitch this series to television and film studios and what have you, and everybody turned them down. So they were like, well, we already have the infrastructure and we already have our audience and our reach. Why don't we just put it out ourselves? So it, it uh, ended up being this thing called Yappy. And, you know, it's done rather well. It's going to have another season. And it's all came, it all came out of them pivoting from we're trying to sell this idea we have and we're just going to do it ourselves. And um, I have a friend, um, Marcella, she's a comedian and um what she did was she came up with a a comedy set that she wanted to pitch to uh, comedy, comedy Central. Uh, they passed on it. Then she had it. She was trying to get a deal with Netflix. They passed. So what she did was she took it and she made it a comedy album. It's called The Woke Bully and it's doing very well, but that wasn't her original plan she reached for something else and then it became something else so while we on the surface look and we're like yo Yappy was a dope idea that wasn't what it was originally supposed to be or the woke bully like that album's crazy and all these people like going up in arms and just talking about how brilliant it is that's not what it was originally intended to be but you have to pivot and you have to understand that you can't get set in this is what something's supposed to be And if it turns into something else, you just ride with it. And that's the same thing with this podcast. I'm talking into my iPhone. I'm about 12 minutes into this talk. I have no idea where the fuck it's going to lead by the time we get to 50 or 55 minutes. I don't know when it's going to end. Hopefully it ends soon. And hopefully when I'm done, this is all something that's concise and makes sense. So you're at this crossroads when you do something like this where if you care about your audience, you don't want to pander to them because then you lose your identity. And you don't want to do everything they want because now you're a slave to them. This is something I talked about in a previous episode in terms of like what YouTubers do. They'll do what the audience wants them to do because that's how they make their money. I don't make my money from this, so I can just do whatever the fuck I want. However, it comes at a price a lot of times because there's other things I could do that I know will get me a bigger audience that'll make me grow this thing, and maybe it will turn into a brand, but do I want that? Am I willing to do that? So there's this crossroads between pandering to the audience and catering to the audience and then overthinking your content. Like... What I'm doing right now isn't enough. Me talking into this phone to an audience isn't enough. I don't know how this is going to be received. I just know I'm just I. I don't personally understand it. Like, I don't want to listen to me. But I'm not you. So can you grow your audience? this way. And if you do that, now you have to think about your own marketability. And I fucking hate doing that. Because when you have to think about your marketability, you're not necessarily focusing on what it is you're doing or what you're talking about. Now you're focusing on what can you sell? How can you sell yourself? What can you do that, that gets the audience... Or, or, or gets the numbers or gets engagement. I kind of shy away from that. So um, what I do a lot, I don't sleep. So I study everything. There's a, a a documentary. I don't know if any of you know anything about the idol market in Asia. But essentially in Japan, Korea, and all the other Asian markets. Like now it's spread out to like places like Thailand. What happens is you have, like, these idol groups. They're fucking huge. Sometimes they have as many as 25, 30, 50 members. The girl groups, a lot of them, they have the same makeup where they have 48 girls. And they go in teams of sometimes 12 or 20 or 16 at a time. And they send them on tour. And what happens is that they have a whole group. And they have to go on which girls... Get the most social media engagement. And fan response. And they're everywhere from ages 15 to 24. And sometimes these girls spend up to 4 to 6 years. In these like. Idol camps or idol groups. It's scary. But the thing is that all these women have to figure out what to do. To get themselves into the top sixteen, because let's say it's a group, right? They make a song and they put out a single. When they put out a single, they put out a video. Then they do public appearances all over Asia. They have to pick sixteen girls to go on tour each time. There's a documentary on it right now on Netflix. It's called like Girls Don't Cry or some shit. Uh, and these girls are women. Have to figure out what they have to do to engage an audience and get that, get their numbers up or get those likes via uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, IG Live, anything to try to get people to like them. They have to make up characters. They have to come up with skits. It's kind of just like being a fucking YouTuber. Or being on Vine or whatever the hell. And it's scary. Because they're trying to feed their families. And they don't want to let their families down. And their, and their parents and cousins and, and friend groups push them into these fucking idol camps. But a lot of times they're not being themselves. They're just trying to do whatever so they get to that 16 and get high in air So they're in the video. So they're on tour. So they get to dance on stage. But they're not being themselves. And you have to think that is it worth it to get all this engagement and get people interested and sell something when it's not you. Right. So then we come to Dart Against Humanity. Right. Towards the end of the second season, I started getting offers through um, Anchor to have sponsorships. The two sponsorships I got was, of course, Anchor. And the first one was Flipboard. So I had to choose between Flipboard or um, Anchor itself. I did both. But the thing is that I did the first one for Flipboard. Why? Because Flipboard offered me a higher rate. You have this thing called CPM. So it's um, per 1,000, how much money you get. So per 1,000 engagements, how much money you get. So I, of course, picked the one with the higher rate, which was Flipboard. And the thing is, I did that towards the end of the second season. So all the engagement I got was when I wasn't recording, when I wasn't making new episodes, which is hilarious because the purpose of getting a sponsorship is that you work the sponsorship so that you're doing it while you're actually actively uploading episodes so you get the most money possible. This just lets you know how little I give a fuck about actually monetizing. Now, if you go to um, Anchor and you go to the Anchor page and see um, anchor.fm backslash uh, dart against humanity or dart underscore Adams or dart dash atoms is one of them. Again, I don't look at this shit. Um, There's an option on that page. Where you can sponsor the show. I've never mentioned no, wait, I think I did mention it like once in an episode, but I didn't push it because I don't care. I'm supposed to be doing these things because I'm supposed to be making money from this podcast. Again, I don't know what the fuck this podcast is. So I don't put forth that kind of effort. In the three months that I had off from Dart Against Humanity, do you know how many times I um went out to like really Push season three, zero. I haven't really been heavy on other people's podcasts. I did a episode of um, it's like a podcast, um, Illipal, if you know what it is, and I think I did the exquisite black film Rumble weeks ago. So uh, for Black History Month, I forgot to post it on my Instagram. I forgot to really like. I think I posted the, the 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 link a couple times on Twitter. I don't think I even posted it on Facebook because I don't go on Facebook. I don't really do shit on Facebook. But that would have been smart. I don't. You know, I could have gone somewhere else. I could have gone on somebody else's. Um, I could have hit up one of my friends with a big podcast. Be like, yo, shout me out. I don't do these things. So it's like, dog, what are you doing? but like when you look at the uh the economics of journalism right now it's a joke because the articles and the pieces that I'm actually coming up with right now and the things I'm digging into and I'm researching it's almost no it's not almost it it's damn near not worth it to try to pitch it to anybody because I'm not going to get the rate I really deserve. Anything I get would be short money. You know what I'm saying? Like cable bill money. For the labor and the amount of man hours I put into something, it should all be book shit. And At the end of the time of me doing the last season of um, Dart Against Humanity, I was actually working on doing things for a book. And what ended up happening is that books are long, long processes. Sample chapters, um, acquisitions, the actual writing, working with your editor. So it could be years before your book is done. Years. Uh, I know people that have done a project on Kickstarter. They've gotten funded. And then the work really starts. And it's years before the project comes out. I'm talking about even if you're doing a short film. It's years before the project comes out. Animated. Years, maybe eighteen months before it comes out, I could be dead by then. I like doing things fast as possible, as immediate as possible, and I, and what motivates me to do things is for you to fucking pay me. So, with the way things are now, it would be tough for me to be like, yo, I'm going to spend the next two years working on a book. I want to do something that, yo, you pay me this amount of money, I bam, I bang that shit out. Pay me this amount of money, bam, I bang that shit out. If you want me to work on a movie or something something where I'm going to have to dedicate a lot of time to it, like years of my life to, it's going to have to be more money. So... It's just really weird with what, what the economics are and the reality when it comes to like. And the thing is that you could work on a book, put all this behind you, um, get this uh deal or whatever, and the book does next to nothing. So it's like I'd have to be able to afford to dedicate the time to a book. And again, I don't think that like me putting all my eggs into one basket is the wave i do 18 things and get paid from those 18 things if it allows for me to even dedicate enough time to write a book. So I'm just going to have to keep working on that, man. Um, it all comes down to like what your individual value system is. There are people that are like, yo, my dream has been to make a book. My dream has other people's dreams have been for me to put out a book. If it doesn't align with what I'm doing right now Eh I'd like to do a book I'd like for you to fucking pay me I'd like to be able to live Long enough Comfortably Well enough I don't mean comfortable as in like A fucking Mansion I mean comfortable as in I'm not Right now Trying to do the math To figure out what happens After I pay my rent Uh Pay my internet and cable And how many how much money or what do i have to do in order to be all right i'm good until june that's i don't want to live like that and the thing is that i shouldn't have to i don't have kids i'm not paying a mortgage you know i don't pay for fucking like a car note I don't have any of those expenses So being a journalist Where I just like yo I just want to be If something could happen Where it's like yo I'm good Until August Then word I'll write that book Because I'm going to hammer that shit out In three months Because I'm not going to go back and forth With a motherfucker For six months over a book Because I got other shit I want to do That's not everybody If you give me three months Clear Three months free Three months where I don't have to worry about having to take a job I don't want to just because I want to make sure I'm still alive, then I'm good. But that's not everybody's, that's not everybody's um, situation. That's not everybody's case. And everybody values shit differently. There are people that will like, yo, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get this one project to come out. I have eight things I want to do. Just pay me and get me over to this. Then I'll get to that, to get to that, to get to that. It's cause and effect. Um, And the thing is that with age, it changes how you view certain things. When I was young, I really wanted fame and to be here and to be this person and be on television and do this. Then when I got into the space where I was like, oh, this is what I have to do to get there. I have to play the game to do that. I have to be this person, I have to align myself with this fuckboy I, I have to hang out with these corny people I have to do this, I have to compromise this about myself I have to hold my tongue in this situation, fuck it I want nothing to do with it and then the people that are up there are like, yeah, you haven't gone anywhere well, I've kept my soul over the past uh, few months I've gotten uh, contacted and hit up by several people uh, to contribute to, whether it be articles, whether to get quotes, um, to contribute to their books. um, Just a lot of things. And the reason why I'm respected as an authority in this space is because I haven't compromised myself. Now, hopefully that leads to something but I'm good with being me because I haven't compromised myself or my beliefs or my value, individual value systems and I haven't worked with anybody who I'm going to regret later. I've, I think that that's more important to me and of course that's shooting myself in the foot because that's preventing me from getting to the bag. Whatever the fuck But with age My views on certain things Changes, like for instance 20 Coming on 20 years ago Would be like the first Matrix film, right? First Matrix film, a lot of people uh, Will say it's a classic, go on record Now where things get Foggy and murky and convoluted Is when you deal with the rest of the trilogy It loses people Because there's a lot of shit That doesn't make sense A lot of questions are unanswered. When I was younger and I saw between 15 and 20 years ago. So when I was younger and I saw these films, I thought they were absolute trash and they were a fucking waste of time. Now I go back and I watch the final two um, films of the Matrix trilogy. And I get what a lot of it was trying to do, even though it failed miserably. Those films talked about the nature of of um control systems and the illusion of choice and when you're in the space I'm in where you're a content creator air quotes or you're a creative and you're trying to get there and you're trying to get engagement and you're trying to get to the next level the next stage and you're trying to uh do something that's sustainable And not compromise your art or integrity. In the process. There's a compromise you have to make. Or you're supposed to make. And it's essentially like. When the architect of the matrix. Is sitting there with Neo. And he tells him. You have two choices. The thing is that he has more than two choices. But you're given the illusion. Of choice. That you only have two choices. By narrow casting somebody's. Options to two, you're already giving them the illusion of choice because they they could do so much more. You can only go two ways. One, you could do this, but this is gonna happen. Or you could go this way, but this is definitely gonna happen. That's not a fucking choice. A choice means you have the opportunity or the freedom to go do this, and whatever happens happens based on what you do. That's what choice is. That's what freedom is. It's not a whole bunch of fucking. Uh, things that come with this is definitely going to happen that's not a choice but there's a lot of philosophy involved in what happens when you're in this space where you can do this you can do this you can do this but you'll have to do this you'll have to give up this you'll have to do this all that matters to the system is that it continues. All that matters is that the status quo remain the status quo. There's nothing that the status quo or the system or the space fears more than it no longer existing or it being destroyed. That also brings me to one of my, um. so the second season of... Uh, public of uh, a punisher there's a conversation that frank castle has with the young girl that he saved and it's like she's like his um proxy daughter for that season it's a very kitty pride wolverine dynamic and kitty pride wolverine is probably one of the best and greatest arcs in comic book history of the past 35 years largely because it was is what humanized wolverine And got him to be the character he was later. But they're playing three card money. She's arranging the cards, going back and forth. Frank is failing to pick the right card every single time, but he continues. And she tells him, the game is rigged. The game is set up to make you think that you can win. You can't win. But you keep playing and you know the game is rigged, but you continue to play. The only way to win is to step away from the table and not play. But she knows Frank's going to play the game regardless. He's going to go to war with whoever. And there's nothing she can do about it. That's pretty much what I'm locked into. I'm not playing the game I continue to not play the game But somehow I'm listed as a player But I'm not playing And I know I can't win Doing this So what the fuck am I still doing I persist to do it It's weird But it's what I am And it's who I am So, I get asked questions about why don't I have a Patreon? Uh, Why don't I do crowdfunding? Yada, yada, yada. One of the greatest things I got to see um, just recently was um, one of my friends. uh, Some of you who actually follow know that I do music, uh, I work in the music space. Uh, If you've probably heard of Loman, aka Billy Loman, he's a, a producer. He had this idea for a space for a shop for a studio um called Union Sound which is going to be located in um Bow Market in Somerville in Massachusetts. This is like this um it's this uh shopping area this like where shops are located and he wanted to have this interactive space where people could come, uh, get like musical production equipment, uh, actually uh, work in the studio, try out the stuff, do a whole bunch of other things. It would be like a venue slash space for the scene. And he had a a, a Kickstarter for it. Uh, the Kickstarter was at about less, just less than 4,500 with 60 hours to go. I get hit up by my boy Champ Chuck of um, under Underdog Radio fame. And he's like, hey, yo, Dart, this and this and this and this is happening. Um, I was wondering if you could, like, try to do what you can. And I'm like, yeah, no doubt. So I go to work. Busting my ass, getting the word out, doing whatever I can. I want this thing funded as soon as possible. And the thing is that he'd already gotten to like 4,400 with 60 hours to go. That was very doable. So I was like, let me put whatever I can behind it just to make it happen as soon as possible. Because it was likely. He had two and a half full days to go. To make it, I was like, I just want this to get, make sure it gets over the edge. I don't want to chance of anything. So I get involved, and it gets funded. Those are kids getting off the bus. I live on the first floor. I'm next to the window. Um, so it gets funded, and so this spring, it's going to be a very real thing. Uh, when I fund, when I backed it, it was I was the 70th backer. I believe it ended with over 125. But, so, Billy Loman's dream of having a space for the scene is happening because he came up with a plan, he worked it, he, everybody got behind him, and now it's very real due to crowdfunding and, and, and people supporting I will lend my help to that every single time. Um, Dutch Rebel had a crowdfunding thing um, for her album. I got behind that. I did everything I could to get the word out. It got funded. I'll do that all day. When it comes to me, eh, I am not passionate about that. Is that. We- that's weird, right? When I was talking to um, Sean and Peter from um, For boston and um, Mathematic Athletics and we were talking about the Boston Legends thing, I was passionate about that. I was like, whatever I can do to get behind getting these stories told and making these jerseys, these are things I'm passionate about. I'll do. Several successful campaigns doing that uh, Got a lot of press coverage About to do more going forward In summer 2019 That I'm excited about I'll get behind that in a heartbeat Throw everything into it Now a hey Dart, here's your thing I don't Feel That same need Or passion to put myself Out there like that there are things I think the scene need there are things I think need need to be out there I don't like centering myself I think that's the thing I'm not fucking thirsty to be out there and that sounds weird from somebody who's doing a podcast but the thing is that again I'm not fucking pushing or marketing this shit at all who does that you're supposed to do appearances. You're supposed to fucking push this. You're supposed to push your your brand again. I hate the fucking. I don't use that term that much because I hate it. What the the fuck is a a brand? Tollhouse is a brand. Keebler is a brand. Coca Cola is a brand. Pyrex is a brand. Panasonic, LG. Apple, these are brands. When people say their brands or they talk about themselves as a brand or a product, there's something with a fucking barcode on it, it makes me want to throw up. I'm me. I feel as when we turn ourselves into products or things, we lose sight of what makes us individuals and humans. Because we're only thinking about what's going to make us marketable, what's going to make us palatable, what's going to make us something that gets above the noise. And I don't think in those terms. I think in terms of what am I good doing? What can I what can I live with? What can I get behind without feeling like I compromise my fucking self or my integrity or my voice? These things are what I value more than anything else. Um, so one other thing I want to talk about. I do like that I've managed to get through a whole bunch of things I want to talk about in just about 40 minutes. And it would be great if I can finish this shit out in under 50 So uh, right now, the entire space, rap, journalism is discussing the issue with De La Soul. Uh, Their entire catalog is now, it looks like it's going up on um, streaming platforms. I don't use streaming platforms because their albums, for the most part, haven't been available And they were negotiating with Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy is going to put everything up there. They're going to get 90% of all the money. And De La Soul's going to get 10. So a lot of people boycotting. The second part of it is that. All these outlets. Are saying that De La Soul's album. De La Soul's. Debut record. Three Feet High and Rising. They think it was released on. March 3rd, 1989. It wasn't. Three Feet High and Rising was actually released January 24th, 1989. Um, The single Me, Myself, and I was released on February 14th, 1989, which was Valentine's Day. Um, the album started... Selling more and more as that single got more and more popular, got more traction. So it entered the black music charts on March 11th, 1989. Now, if De La Soul's album was released on March 3rd, 1989, which would have been a Friday, I think, there's no way it could have entered the charts on March 11th, 1989 because it wouldn't have been eligible. You need 10 full days of sales minimum in order to be eligible to sell uh albums are released on Tuesday these charts come on on a, come out on a Saturday so you have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as the second week the first week you have Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday then you have the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the first is the start of the next week, right? So if albums come out on a Tuesday, you have that truncated week. Then you have that next full week. If the album drops on a Friday, that means you have just that Saturday, that Friday and that Saturday of sales. Well, you don't have that Saturday of sales, wonder why? Because the, ch- the charts come out Saturday. So you have one day of sales if it comes out on a Friday. So that would be, all right, we've got eight days of sales. Eight days of sales is not enough. And of course, that's just the minimum amount that you need. And everybody's going to be celebrating this album release on March 3rd. And in rap journalism, unfortunately, research is not valued. It's just sad. So um, another weird thing that happens today is that I did a podcast with Double O. You might know him from Kids in the Hall. Uh, His podcast is called. The Free Range Podcast. It's episode 6. I recorded that podcast. Earlier this week. And I thought it was going to come out yesterday. So I'll be like yo. This podcast comes out. And my podcast debuts the next day. It got pushed today. So. The 36th episode of Dart Against Humanity, is coming out the same day as Free Range. My appearance on Free Range. Now, if I was somebody who was really into marketing or trying to get my name out, I would have pushed the first episode of this podcast to give myself time between this guest appearance and this podcast. That's not what I do. Want to know why? Because I'm doing it all fucking wrong. I don't even know if you're going to enjoy this episode. I just know that I'm going to have to do it because at some point I have to start this podcast. And I said I was going to record the first episode March 1st on Friday. So here it is. And then I'm looking at my phone and it says the maximum recording time for segments is 60 minutes. Keep an eye on the clock. I've been keeping an eye on the clock again. I don't know of anyone else. Who's going to do a podcast, who talks into their fucking iPhone while sitting at their dinner table. And who's going to talk this frankly about what they're doing as they podcast. Because I don't know what the fuck this is. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what this is going to look like in a month, in two months. We're all going to find out together. Oh, and something that I still haven't... And it's something that I haven't even mentioned until right now... Which, if I was actually professional, I would have gotten this out. The first season of Dart Against Humanity, 13 episodes. Second season of Dirt Against Humanity was 22 episodes. So, that's a total of 35. This season, I'm going to do 25 episodes... Just so I can have an even number of 60 at the end of episode 3. Um, at the end of season 3. And this is also... So... I'm not going to record as frequently. I'm probably going to do an episode a week, so 25 episodes over like 25 weeks. That's going to be six months. So it's makes more sense to do, and I'm going to do it continual. I'm going to do a continual a continual thing. So this season will probably end somewhere around between August and September, likely which makes sense. I want to give people more opportunity and more space and more time to listen. Also, I understand that there are going to be episodes you like more than others. There're going to be episodes you get more from more from than others. I've seen the I've looked at the numbers because I've had three fucking months. But it doesn't bother me. There are episodes of TV shows that people like more than others. Their episodes, their films people like more than others. I get it. It's no problem. And the beauty of it, I don't have guests, so I don't think that, oh, it's because I had this guest on and people weren't interested in their story. It's all me. So I know there's shit people don't necessarily want to hear me talk about. I'm not talking about the Celtics. I'd like to talk about the Celtics, but I can go on one of my friends who has a Celtics podcast and do that. Why don't I do that? Because I clearly don't know what the fuck I'm doing It's funny because um, I came up with the name That I'm going to name this podcast Last night When all those albums dropped And hopefully it fits Yeah.